know the lyrics to the extended version of every 90s TV theme song? And you recite the entire script to Wayne's World on command, verbatim? Might you wax nostalgic about injuries sustained during backyard wrestling matches? Have you pontificated at length over what beer goes best with Mario Kart? Do you philosophically dwell for inappropriate lengths of time on phenomena like snowsuits, minor five chords, Rocky Four, baseball stats, wall-mounted pencil sharpeners, cinnamon toast crunch, Murray Wilson, seasons two through eight of The Simpsons, Bond villains, then friends, lovers, palindromes, have we got the show for you. It's Calling BS with Brandon and Scott, your esoteric clerics for the fleet of mouth and mind. Brutally honest, meticulously obsessive, and painstakingly pragmatic. Check us out and BS, I love you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. This week we are discussing Wirt and Greg from the animated miniseries Over the Garden Wall. And uh, joining us, we have uh, the Dorowskis. <laughs> More <laughs> Dorowskis. <laughs> uh, so Andrew's here. He's going to be talking quite a bit. And uh, Kestra is here also. Yes. That's my wife, Andrew's wife, Kestra. <laughs> Kester Dorowski. Have you been on a... No, I have not, not been on a podcast. first. Ah, yeah. But okay. she does do Disney Animation Minute Essentials with me. Yes. So, you know, I, I know podcasts. We've been... Ta- <laughs> we've, we've spoken she, on she, podcasts. She has cast some pod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. So, Over the Garden Wall, I know, is loved by many people. But this is a special request from uh, patron Abby. So, thank you, Abby, for finally getting me to watch the show that I've been told a million times is amazing. And it's pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Over the Garden Wall was created by Patrick McHale, uh, and it features Elijah Wood as Wirt and Colin Dean as Gregory. Uh, It originally aired on the Cartoon Network between November 3rd and November 7th, 2014. Had 10 episodes and totaled about two hours of runtime. It tells the story of two stepbrothers, Wirt and Greg, who are lost in a forest called The Unknown, where they have strange fairy tale esque adventures, uh, but more grim fairy tale than Disney fairy tale. <laughs> um, there were a couple of times watch I watched this with my kids in the car, um, and there were a couple of times where my kids were just totally delighted, like this is awesome, let's watch another one. And there were other times where like this is kind of weird, this is a little scary, <laughs> this yeah. is kind of scary. Um, but overall, they they really liked it. So uh, when I was Googling for trivia, I just saw the headline of one review. Uh, I, I can't remember where it was, but the headline was Slapstick for Kids, Existential Dread for Adults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, Joe, have you got some trivia for us? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so this was my first exposure to Over the Garden Wall. And I know Andrew and Kestra, you are both bigger fans. So feel free to drop in any <laughs> trivia that I miss. Uh, so the series began as an idea that was called a Tome of the Unknown, where Wirt and Greg would sell their souls to a devil and then have to recover lost pages from a book as they traveled through a surreal place called The In-Between. And a pilot short film of the story was produced, but changes were obviously made when the network decided to make it into a miniseries. That's not the uh, the plot that we have, though you can see kind of some of the seeds. Much of the music in this, and the music is amazing, was inspired by some pre-1950s American tunes and melodies, just kind of some folk music feel to it Uh but 
they just do some amazing stuff with it in this in the in the show. Uh, the series was nominated for a couple of Annie Awards, and it did win an Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program. And uh, that was, you know, what I saw. I know this is like really beloved, but I didn't see like huge amounts of deep dives into trivia uh, or, or, you know, the some of the stuff that we see with some of the other works. But I know this uh, particular miniseries is very popular, um, both with kids and with adults. So, OK, so so I've said that this is the first time that I uh, saw this and I watched it. <laughs> I'm ashamed uh, to admit <laughs> Uh, I only watched it on the little screen in the DVD player in my car, car. sitting in the back seat with my kids, <laughs> which is not the ideal, uh, the ideal way to watch this. But um, when you have to watch it, you have to watch it. Um, but you two, uh, jo- or Andrew and Kestra, you've seen it uh, more. Yeah. yeah. So, so how did you come it was, to it? It was like my copy of the DVD that you guys borrowed. We watch it every Halloween now. Yeah. Um, because we'll get into that later but there, there's like i mean it starts out with definitely an autumn and harvest feel and it mm-hmm. really by the end you're like okay this is like a halloween thing oh yeah um so the first time i saw it was i'm trying to remember exactly what the situation was um but i think ooh, i don't know it was a, it was a few years ago and our brother john uh passed and, and probably future guest of the podcast um had it on at my parents' house and I walked in and it was, it was late. I don't know if it was Halloween. It might've been before or after Halloween. Um, and I walked in like late. It was, it was into the second or third um, episode and I was just walking past. I was like, what is this? This doesn't look familiar. And they said over the garden wall. I'm like, okay. And I kind of stood in the doorway and observed for a second because I was like, this is really good quality animation. Like the colors are, are just right. And the animation quality is good. And, and then, my brother said, "Like by the way, that's that's Elijah Wood doing the voice of the of um of uh Wart, and I was like, hmm. And after like five or ten minutes of just standing in the doorway watching, I sat down and watched the rest of it. <laughs> um, and and it took me a while before I had actually ever seen the um the first parts that I missed. Uh-huh. Like it was it was probably over a year, but it's like and then this is this is great. It made perfect sense once you <laughs> saw the first episode. Yeah." Um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it was just like, oh, this is this is great. You know, like there's quality on display here. This, you know, people put the effort into this. What was the first time you saw it, Kester? Uh I want to say it was, I, I know where it was. I want to say it was around Thanksgiving 2014. I'm pretty sure it was just after my dog had died and my family gathered at my parents' house. Um, and they were like, hey. Have you seen over the garden wall? My siblings and my parents and they're and I'm like, no. And sometimes some of the things they they watch are a little weird. weird. <laughs> and so I'm not <laughs> always interested. But they did introduce me to Avatar The Last Airbender, and then they introduced me to this, and both of which Those are strong choices. Those were strong choices and I love them. Even and if so, you have to wade those, through some yeah, like, if, if not great some... recommendations. <laughs> Yeah, those if are, you those end are up with strong those two peaks. Yeah, it's it's mostly my siblings, and then they introduce my parents, and then I'm like, "This is weird. Why are you watching this?" But they they were like, "Let's watch Over the Garden Wall," and it was around Thanksgiving, and I was like, "This is really good." So yeah, I should say. Um, so the person that first told me about Over the Garden Wall is uh, Todd Peterson, who's been on this mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, his son dressed up as Wirt for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it would have been two two years ago on Halloween. And I'd never seen Over the Garden Wall. And it was just an awesome costume. He <laughs> made it himself. And it was, uh-huh. I was like, wow, that's a really cool costume. I don't it, super know what it is. I don't really know what it is, but you look good. He's got like this Civil War, like cloak, cloak and, uh, and the red cone cap. And when I saw this, I was like, my goodness, that was an amazing costume because mm-hmm. it was perfect it was perfect it was so good and he's tall and skinny and it was just uh it was yeah. awesome my sister uh like two years ago or something she, for salt lake comic-con she dressed up as word mm-hmm. and i helped her with part of the costume and my mom helped with the other part and yeah it was pretty good it was hard to make the hat not fall down, fall down but oh. but um yeah like not fall off not like no to, like, to not like droop flop or oh. flop over like a santa hat yeah. i see yeah yeah one might say like a santa hat which perhaps. is yeah but okay okay no yeah. spoilers <laughs> awesome uh before we move on to the full synopsis listeners we want to thank each of you uh, for listening, and especially thank those who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quickcasts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office, which is <laughs> getting more and more interesting every week. Todd is very excited <laughs> to say that. It's uh, so disappointing what's happened. <laughs> All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And now, Joseph, you have the full synopsis of Over the Garden Wall. Yes. And uh, I've got to say, this was a trickier synopsis than I realized heading in. Like, there's there's 10 episodes. It's only, it's only two hours of runtime. But each of these 10 episodes really packs in so much story. And I couldn't find a whole lot of wiggle room of like, well, that's... You know, that's a scene that's not as important. <laughs> Let so, me skip this. Yeah, because they're, yeah. they're just like 11 minutes long each. But, but they're so packed yeah, with what happens. There's so much. So And, uh, and also so story. many great lines. Yeah, none of those lines are getting into my summary. <laughs> but there's so <laughs> many great, great lines, especially from Greg. With just like yes. these childlike Greg is lines. amazing. I love Greg. <laughs> the voice work on Greg. I think I it's it's a natural like young kid. I don't think he's you know, as young as Greg, I don't think he's like eight or nine years old, but he's young and it works perfectly. Really good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so episode one, The Old Grist Mill. Two boys, Wirt, who seems to be a young teenager, and Greg, who is definitely a younger boy, maybe seven or eight, I'm not sure. But they're lost in the woods. Wirt has a cloak and a pointy gnome hat, while Greg has an upside down teapot on his head, and he's wearing that like a hat. <laughs> Greg has a pet frog that he wants to name, but he just can't find the right one. They find an old man with a lantern who is chopping wood, and they wonder if they should go ask him for help, and then a talking bluebird pipes up and offers to help, making Wirt freak out because bluebirds don't have large enough brains for the capacity for speech, and the bird finds this insulting. The man who had been chopping wood comes by and welcomes the boys to the unknown, telling them that they're more lost than they realize. He takes them to a mill where he lives, while explaining that he must find a special kind of tree to chop down to keep his lantern lit. Wirt thinks the man is crazy, and he wants to leave, and the man says, that's fine, you can leave, but be be careful of the beast. Greg realizes that his frog is gone, and he goes out to look for it, and while Wirt spots eyes on the old man and sees him using the mill to extract oil from the sticks that he had collected when he was out chopping wood. Uh, The beast attacks Greg outside and Greg runs into the house. The woodsman gets knocked out by Greg and the boys fight the beast. Uh, In the end, the beast disappears and the woodsman wakes up and tells the boys that they need to leave the woods and that Greg should name his frog. 
uh, they they think uh, so at the end of this, they think the the beast turned into a dog, and the woodsman's like, "No, that's that's not." <laughs> then, then that wasn't the beast. <laughs> uh, episode two: hard hard time at the Huskin Bee. Uh, the boys are wandering, and Greg hears a voice call out. It is Beatrice, the talking bird, and she is stuck in a bush. And Greg, again, this is the younger one. He goes to help her out, uh, and Wirt sees a sign saying that there's a city called Pottsfield nearby. So they walk towards the city. Beatrice tells them about Adelaide, the good woman of the woods who can grant wishes. Wirt wants to go reach her so that he can wish that they are home. They get to Pottsfield, but the city is empty. They follow music that they hear, and they see what looks like pumpkins dancing. Then they realize that the people of the town must just cut holes in pumpkins and are wearing them like costumes in some sort of festival. One of the pumpkin people tells Wirt that he and uh, Greg are too early to be in Pottsfield, which doesn't make much sense. And Wirt says, yeah, we'll just leave now. But a town elder says they must do a few hours of manual labor for trespassing before they can go. <laughs> it's all very threatening and ominous. But when they find out that they just have to go harvest some corn uh, and pumpkins, they're relieved. But then they're told that the last task is to dig holes. And Wirt worries that they are digging their own graves, especially when he sees all the townspeople approaching. But just as Wirt is convinced that they are about to die, a skeleton climbs out of his hole and puts on the pumpkins that had been harvested. Then a skeleton climbs out of Greg's hole and does the same. And Wirt realizes that all of the townspeople are skeletons wearing pumpkins. And the town elder tells Wirt he can go, but he'll be joining them someday. See, I feel like they would have really, um, they would have been in really good shape if they had seen Big Fish before this, because there's a scene very similar to this in big fish <laughs> um if you're just ever like wandering in the woods and you come across a creepy town where everybody's creepy just assume they're all dead <laughs> just <assume. laughs> also don't go hang out <laughs> yeah don't hang out with them don't take off your shoes <laughs> and uh don't dig holes and uh don't eat any of the food don't eat any of the food don't take off your shoes don't let the little girl throw them up over the don't over look the, back uh, don't look back yeah and just assume everyone's dead. So, <laughs> all right. Episode three is School Town Follies. Beatrice teases Wirt that he is a pushover who only does what he's told. I love they this episode. Across- I'm sorry. <laughs> this episode kills me. <laughs> this, this might be the most absurd episode. Yes. <laughs> so strange. I don't know. We just talked about the skeletons donning pumpkins for dances. <laughs> Uh, okay, so they they come across a schoolhouse that has a human teacher and animal students. Beatrice is weirded out by this, even though she's a talking bird. She's like, this is too far, and says that they need to go. The teacher invites them to sit and work to annoy Beatrice, who just told him that he only does what he is told, does exactly what the teacher asks him to do. Greg has wandered off because he doesn't like school. <laughs> Miss Langtree is the teacher, and she sings a sad lament about Jimmy Brown, a man who left her, but the song is also teaching the alphabet to the kids. And this song is amazing. Uh, I may circle back to this after we run through the episode. Also, the voice work. Her voice is She's just good. like excellent and, and not like anything you can anticipate. <laughs> yes, that's that's so true of so many of these she characters. She is so crazy. <laughs> yes, and heartbroken. Yeah. All right, so Greg, he's skipping school and he makes friends with some animals, but then a gorilla shows up and chases them. Uh, Greg and the animals that he has befriended eventually join the school students at mealtime to be safe from the gorilla. They see a group, they get in there. Uh, Greg gets all the animals to sing a song called Potatoes and Molasses. <laughs> and then the owner of the school, who is Miss Langtree's father, shows up and shuts down the party like singing and sends the students to bed. 
Greg feels like he failed to have fun, change the world, and make it a better place, but he vows to never give up. Wirt, Greg, and Beatrice sneak out, and they see Mr. Langtree crying about what a bad idea it was to start a school for animals. He says he has to sell the musical instruments to keep it open, and then he falls asleep. And Greg says, we have to go steal those musical instruments. And Mr. Langtree wakes up and finds that uh, the instruments are gone, but the animals are performing a fundraising concert. (laughs) Then the gorilla shows up, and Wirt accidentally tackles it, and then it is revealed that the gorilla is really Jimmy Brown in a gorilla suit. Jimmy Brown is the man who left Miss Langtree. Jimmy ran off to join a circus to get money for a wedding ring, but he got stuck in a gorilla suit, and everyone is scared of gorillas. (laughs) so no one would help him get out of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird one. (laughs) All right, episode four is Songs of the Dark Lantern. Wirt, Greg, and Beatrice, uh, the the talking bluebird, they come to a tavern where Wirt hopes to find some information about where Adelaide is. The tavern keeper says bluebirds are bad luck and won't let her in. We don't serve their kind. The tavern keeper asks... Uh, who they are, and Wirt says his name, but then the tavern keeper says, no, I'm looking for your archetype, not your name. (laughs) And he introduces him to the butcher, the master, the apprentice, the midwife, and so on. And Wirt says he doesn't like labels, and so they think he's just a fool. Uh, While asking about Adelaide, uh, the toy maker says that Wirt must be a young lover because he's asking about a girl, and that's one of the archetypes they have. Uh, Wirt insists he's not. Uh, Beatrice realizes Wirt is not very good at getting directions, and so she flies off to find the woodsman, because the woodsman will know where Adelaide is. The crowd asks Wirt to sing a love ballad, but instead he sort of sings about his journey in the unknown, and the crowd now realizes he is pilgrim. he's a pilgrim on a sacred journey. Uh, the tavern keeper warns them about the beast who turns children into trees and then chops down those trees for oil for his lantern. They, uh, Wirt and uh, Greg hear Beatrice scream, and they run off with uh, Greg's frog into the woods where they find the woodsman with his axe out and he's standing over Beatrice who's lying at his feet. Wirt believes the woodsman is the beast and they grab Beatrice and escape. Beatrice wakes up and says she flew into a tree and knocked herself out. Wirt explains that it doesn't matter. They didn't get directions from the woodsman because because the talking horse they're riding on now knows the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, there's just a talking horse all of a sudden. The beast finds the woodsman and warns him that the oil in his lamp, lamp is getting low, and if the lantern goes out, the woodsman's daughter daughter's flame will be lost forever. Episode 5, Mad Love. Wirt, Greg, Beatrice, uh, and Beatrice are having tea with Quincy Endicott, who owns a tea company. He's a bit off, and Beatrice has him convinced that Wirt and Greg are his nephews. Endicott explains that he hates tea and only makes it for the money, so he can keep adding on to his sprawling mansion. Wirt asks Beatrice what they're doing here, and she says they need to steal money from Quincy. Court absolutely refuses this, until Beatrice says they just need two pennies to pay for a ferry to find Adelaide's house. And suddenly stealing two pennies doesn't seem as problematic uh, to court. Fred the talking horse is, though, all in on stealing. (laughs) Fred the talking horse is hilarious. (laughs) Quincy and Greg are playing when Greg asks Quincy, why are you being so weird, basically? And Quincy says that he just discovered a section of the house that he didn't even know about. And there was a haunting painting of a beautiful woman. He's in love with this painting, but it must be a long dead woman. So he's actually in love with a ghost. Uh, Greg wants to go see the painting, and Fred goes with them to keep an eye on Greg. Wirt and Beatrice immediately start searching for money, and they think they hear someone out uh, coming, and so they go hide in a closet. In the closet, Beatrice reveals that she was once human. She hopes to find Adelaide to wish that she and her family could be turned back to their human forms. And in the spirit of shared honesty, Wirt says that he has a crush on a girl that he can't talk to. He plays the clarinet, and he composes poetry to himself at night. <laughs> 
Uh, they discover a secret passage into another section of the mansion, and Wirt thinks it's very odd that this room is French Rococo, while Quincy had been building in a Georgian architecture in the other side of the mansion. So he also likes architecture. Another <laughs> secret revealed. <laughs> Quincy, Greg, and Fred are um, nearing the room with the painting, and Quincy says he worries that there is no ghost and that he has just lost his mind. Which, I love that logic. I'm worried that I'm not in love with a ghost. I'm just gone crazy. Uh, <laughs> in the room with the picture, Greg notices a suspicious mess, and uh, Fred calls it a scene of a violent struggle. Fred suggests that some crazed lunatic must have killed the woman of the house and claimed it as his own. Quincy says that he earned the house through the work he did with his own filthy hands. Which is <laughs> not a suspicious way to say things. <laughs> Uh, they hear footsteps approaching, and the woman from the painting enters the room. The woman and Quincy both faint. They had uh, they wake up and each say they thought the other was a ghost. Quirt arrives and explains that the the mansions that they are building have grown so large the rooms have connected without anyone knowing it, which seems architecturally unlikely. Uh, the woman <laughs> is Margaret Gray, the owner of a rival tea company, who, like Quincy, has too much money to know what to do with, so she's just building a sprawling mansion. Quincy uh, thanks Greg for helping him face his fears, and he says that the boy has good sense and gives him a penny. Margaret Gray also gives him a penny, and Fred the horse says he's going to stay and work as a tea horse. After they leave, Greg throws the pennies away because Quincy was wrong. He doesn't have good sense. He has no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> he had it all the they needed. wrong. <laughs> He throws the pennies away. All right, chapter six, Lullaby in Frogland. Wirt and Greg sneak onto the Frogland ferry, which has nothing but frogs on it. Uh, they're chased by guards because they snuck on because Greg threw away the pennies they had. Uh, Wirt disguises himself as a band, band member. And again, the band is all frogs. <laughs> but uh, Wirt puts on a costume. And uh, when Wirt plays, Greg's frog sings a song called Over the Garden Wall. The fairy reaches the other side um, and the frogs burrow into the mud to hibernate. Beatrice doesn't want to, the brothers to find Adelaide now because she likes being with them. She tries to fly ahead to reach Adelaide first, but the boys keep following her. It turns out that Adelaide is a wicked witch. She made a deal with Beatrice uh, that if Beatrice brought Adelaide two boys, the witch would turn Beatrice and her family back to their human forms. Beatrice thought the the witch would let the boys go after they'd helped her uh, some, but now knows that the witch just wants to enslave them. The boys arrive and uh, think Beatrice is making a deal with Adelaide, and they accuse her of betraying them. Adelaide traps the boys, and, but then Beatrice opens a window which lets night air in, which turns the witch to dust. Wirt and Greg leave, and Wirt feels very betrayed and now doubts his ability to lead Greg back home, and and also doubts that he could ever trust anyone again, basically. Chapter 7, The Ringing of the Bell. Uh, Wirt and Greg, without Beatrice, run into the woodsman, who tries to warn them about the beast, but they think he is the beast, so they run away. They find a house in the woods they think is empty, and they go inside, but inside they find a girl named Lorna, who lives there with her Auntie Whispers. This Auntie is another whispers. one of those unexpected voice voice performances uh when auntie whispers comes home the boys hide and see auntie whispers use magical bell which forces lorna to obey her commands wirt and greg try to help lorna break free from auntie whispers but learn that uh that they have everything they've assumed everything is wrong basically if uh lorna is not kept in check by the magical bell she turns into a monster that eats people and 
Uh, they find this out when she turns into a monster and tries to eat them. Monster Lorna chases Greg and Wirt, but Greg shakes his pet frog, who it turns out ate the magic bell. <laughs> so by shaking the frog, uh, the bell sounds, and Wirt uses the bell to command the spirit that is transforming Lorna to go away and never come back, and Lorna is now returned to her normal self. Auntie whispers thanks to the boys and warns them to be careful around her sister, Adelaide. We see the woodsman and the beast watching the boys walk off into the woods. The beast asks if the boys are more important to the woodsman than his own daughter. And the woodsman says, there must be another way. And the beast says, no, there is only me. There is no other way. There's only the forest. There is only surrender. Chapter eight, Babes in the Wood. Uh, Wirt is having a bit of a crisis. He lays down to go to sleep and tells Greg that he is too childish. Greg lays down uh, to sleep and has a dream uh, where he goes to a cloud city. The residents of the city ask Greg to lead them in a song. During the song, Greg opens a gate that held the North Wind, and the North Wind escapes, and it attacks Greg, but eventually Greg captures the wind in a bottle, and the Queen of the Clouds thanks Greg and grants him a wish. Greg wishes that he and Wirt could go home. The Queen says she cannot do that because Wirt has been claimed by the Beast. So Greg then wishes to switch places with Wirt so that Greg will be claimed by the beast and Wirt can go home. Wirt wakes up when Greg is telling him goodbye and asking him to take care of his frog. Then Greg walks off with the beast and Wirt is still kind of groggy and he wakes up and fully wakes up and realizes what is going on and he chases after Greg, but he falls through a frozen lake, uh, frozen ice into a lake and Beatrice helps Wirt out of the lake, but he is passed out. Episode nine, Into the Unknown. Wirt is dressed in normal modern clothes in a normal modern bedroom he has a cassette tape labeled for sarah he gets but when into you costume. say modern late 80s like, yeah late 80s, but but not like the pre-industrial I mean, he's got a cassette tape. Kind of <laughs> yeah uh he gets into a costume that looks like the outfit we've seen him in and then mutters into the unknown to himself and he goes outside uh it's halloween and he goes to the school football field where lots of kids are hanging out greg runs out from a house to show wirt the candy he's got he has gotten uh he notices wirt staring at a girl and he's holding this cassette tape and greg grabs the tape and runs toward the girl but some other classmates get in the way and greg explains that he <laughs> they said they ask him what he's dressed up for halloween and greg is wearing the teapot on his head that's upside down and he says he's an elephant <laughs> Makes Which makes sense perfect sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. Once you, Once you here, know. The, the upside down teapot, trunk, he's wearing all gray. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he says he's an elephant and he needs to get this tape to Sarah for uh, Wirt. And one of the girls takes the tape and then tells Wirt that Jason Funderburker is going to ask Sarah out tonight. Wirt is devastated because Jason Funderburker is the coolest. He has it all. He is the total package. <laughs> he's the total package. <laughs> Greg asks Wirt if he wants to go on a frog frog hunt, but Wirt realizes the girl still has the tape, and now he's worried that she's going to give the tape to Sarah, and then Sarah and Jason Funderburker will listen to the tape and just laugh at him. So he runs back, and the girl tells Wirt, oh, I I actually put the tape in Sarah's jacket. So now Wirt has to go to the Halloween party where Sarah is and try and steal the tape back. Wirt goes to the house, and then he realizes he can't go inside because he's not invited. But then Greg just walks in because it's a party, and no one <laughs> is guarding the door or anything. <laughs> and, and when Wirt follows him, everyone's just, like, super cool about it. They're yeah. like, oh, hey, yeah. Wirt. And Sarah yeah, Wirt really fun. likes him. Yeah, yes. this is the coolest set of teenagers ever that only want to do age-appropriate stuff. Yes. <laughs> So at the party, Wirt runs into Sarah and she wants him to come to the graveyard tonight because they're planning on going there to hang out and have age appropriate beverages. Now we meet <laughs> Jason Funderburker. And the way he gets described up to this point, you expect him to be like the old spice man, like, hello, ladies. But <laughs> when he comes out, he's a scrawny little kid and he's like, like scrawnier than Wirt. 
yes, yes. And uh, his voice is like, Jason Funderburker. <laughs> <laughs> like, like nothing but vocal fry. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He wears like a little tie and he has like mushroom hair. Yeah. This is not the cool kid. No, <laughs> not at all. He's he not the package. His idea of flirting is like, Sarah, do you like ghosts? Because there's one over there. <laughs> she just like looks over her shoulder and then she's like, hmm, Jason. Uh, so it's, anyway, it's Sarah. Okay, Jason. Yes, it's okay, Jason. Sarah goes with Jason to the graveyard, uh, but Wirt realizes that she still has the jacket with the tape. And so now he and Greg go to the cemetery. Wirt tells Greg uh, to go make a distraction. So Greg walks out and just stands in front of them, and the Sarah sees him and says, hey, is Wirt here? And Greg points to Wirt, hiding behind the door. <laughs> okay, right over there. <laughs> just then, a cop arrives and asks if this is a witch's gathering, and all the kids run away. And by the way, this cop is awesome. Like, he's been in the background of all the Halloween scenes, like, <laughs> saying, hey, kids, stop running. Just kidding. It's Halloween. Have a great time. Be safe. <laughs> hey, you robbers. What is it? Yeah, there's two kids dressed as robbers. Like, hey, robbers, stop right there. I'm, I'm just, just kidding. kidding. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the kids are running away, and the cop is like, no, I'm not. Uh. And Greg and work run and climb up on top of a wall. And he's like, hey, kids, come down from there. Be safe. And then they jump over the other side of the wall. And Greg, uh, <laughs> they land on the other side, and Greg finds a frog immediately. And then they see a light coming towards them, and they realize they're on train tracks. And that is the headlamp of a train. So they jump off the train tracks, and they roll down a hill, and they land in a lake, and they black out, and then work, work. Wirt wakes up in a tree with a talking bluebird family. It's snowing, and he immediately climbs out of the tree to go find his brother. The bluebird mother says that he'll be no good to his brother dead, and Wirt says, I was no good to him alive. Chapter 10, The Unknown. Beatrice is also out looking for uh, Greg, and um, she sees him talking to the beast. And the beast has told Greg to find a golden comb and a spool of silver thread, and Greg gives the beast honeycomb and a spiderweb wrapped around a stick, a stick. And then the beast asks him to get him the sun, and Greg sets a teacup down and waits for the sun to, to shine into it. Beatrice flies off and um, runs into Wirt, and together they go back to the beast and Greg, and the woodsman arrives also, and he sees the beast has almost completed turning Greg into an Edelwood tree, and the beast tells the woodsman to cut him and use the oil for his lamp, but the woodsman refuses, saying he had no idea the souls of lost children were where Edelwood, that's a very hard word Edelwood. Adelwood, that's what it was. Sorry, it's spelled E-D-E-L, and I had lost track of how it was said on the show. Adelwood trees um, came from. The beast reminds the woodsman about his daughter, and the woodsman attacks the beast. Wirt and Beatrice arrive and try to free Greg, but they can't. The beast defeats the woodsman and tries to make a deal with Wirt. He promises to put Greg's soul into the lamp, and uh, that way Wirt will keep it safe as so long as he keeps the lamp lit. And Wirt thinks about this for a second and then says, this is stupid. <laughs> You're so obsessed with keeping this lamp lit it must have your soul in it and Wirt uh, threatens to blow out the lamp and the beast like backs away a little uh, and then Wirt, Wirt gives the woodsman the lamp I love this where he's kind of like I've got my own problems this lamp is yours you deal with this and then he goes and frees Greg from the branches uh, that were growing around him and then the woodsman blows out the lantern's light and Wirt uh, it goes dark and Wirt wakes up in uh, the pond that they fell into on Halloween. So the one next to the train tracks and he pulls Greg and the frog out of the water. And then their friends find them. And then Wirt wakes up again in the hospital and he hears Greg entertaining everyone with stories about their adventures in the unknown. Sarah shows Wirt the tape he had made for her, but says she doesn't have a tape player and Wirt invites her over to listen to it at his house. 
And we also see that Greg's frog, uh, when it's shaken, you can hear the bell sound. And then we see flashes of the unknown or the people that we met in the unknown. It's a little unclear if they're still in the unknown or if they also were like in the unknown, but not really. I, I, but we see the woodsman uh, sitting sad on his porch until his daughter returns. We see Beatrice and her family are human again. We see Auntie Whispers and Lorna are happy together. We see pumpkins that have a cat inside of them. There's just other, <laughs> some you know, snippets of things that we've seen. And that's the end. Yep. Good job. <laughs> um, I, I just want to point out, we didn't cover this in the trivia. Um, there's some dynamite voice work going on in this. Oh, yeah. uh, so good. John Cleese, Christopher Lloyd, and Tim Curry do provide voices in this. Yeah, they're and, really and it And it's great. <laughs> yeah, th- this is just, uh, it's and so great. characters, right? Um, or do they each do? Tim I think, Curry I think, was just on T yeah, Whispers. Yeah, Tim Curry is just on T Whispers. Okay. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, I think, is just the woodsman, and, and John Cleese, I think, is just uh, Quincy Endicott. There's other people that are doing multiple okay. voices, but I think those big names did okay. yeah. just one each. Like, um, the Christopher Lloyd is the woodsman. It's just so instantly, oh, it's him. But the the match of Tim Curry's voice with Auntie Whispers took me a minute to place. So I'm like, I know this voice, <laughs> but with this visual, I am not able to place it just yet. <laughs> this felt like... Um... It felt like uh, Spirited Away meets uh, like Big Fish. Yeah, like there's, a, there's a bit of also Big the fish. graveyard book kind of uh, element, uh, like the graveyard book, yeah, Neil Gaiman esque um, absurdity. It, going on. Like it has all these other elements, but it's still its own thing. Like you can't really oh, yeah. say that it's that much like any other specific thing. No, yes. you know, it, it definitely sits in its own space. Mm-hmm. It's I like how just one... now Todd and I, I said yes, and Todd said no, and we were both being affirmative to what Andrew had just said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or no, or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something that you have to watch in order. Like, I mean, you start, Andrew started. Yeah, I missed, I missed the first episode, so I came in somewhere in, in Potsfield. But, like, even then, it's it's okay. You just need to watch it yeah, in as long order as watch the rest of it. to, to you, piece it together. Otherwise, each episode stands out and is very weird. Very weird. Like, there is a through line, but in a way, it's kind of just the fact that Wart and Greg are there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew Ketcher, how many times have you seen this? Uh, probably four or five. I've also watched it one time through with the commentary, and the DVD has a just, just um, music track version so it'll really? play the whole thing and takes out all the the speaking and sound effects and it's just the soundtrack because <laughs> i think it's wall-to-wall music i'm not sure if they have um, any silent um sequences like they talk about it in the commentary huh. yeah a bunch together um, we've seen it at least three twice times? two or three times three times yeah since we've been together um but i've seen it at least probably four or five times yeah and there's a lot of clues at the beginning that tie in a lot at the end. Like um, in the in the opening to the first episode, you see glimpses of like kids playing with a steamboat and it looks just like the frog steamboat. And they're, they're, um, so there's all these touches. You're like, oh, wait a second. Hang on. Like there's some stuff here. Um, yeah. And so when you watch it multiple times, you are rewarded. When, mm-hmm. when I was watching it for the first time, it was my family's second time watching it. So they had to like, bite their tongue but when they were watching the first episode with the intro they they're like oh yeah that makes so much more sense now but they couldn't like explain it to each other or or talk about it um, because i was there in episode one um when the dog beast is attacking them uh 
Greg has been dropping pieces of candy and then he throws a bunch of candy and he it says candy camouflage mm-hmm. and he throws all this candy out of his pants and it's because he's been trick or treating. Right. And it tracks right. perfectly as soon as you know that. But until then you're like, why does this kid have so much candy in his pants? <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of candy. Yeah. I mean, it's so much candy. It's like, well, I'll make a, 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 a crumb, like a, like a trail with yeah, the candy. Like and, and he starts pulling out candy and then he's just pouring out like handfuls and handfuls and, of candy. And, and then he has the candy camouflage and, <laughs> and then he's out of candy somehow. And he's got one more piece stuck to his pants. No, it's stuck to where it's Oh, it's stuck to, yeah. Um, um, but, and then there's like a moment where you see a bunch of toys and it's all the people from the tavern. Yeah. Um, most notably get, the highway man. And then at the end you see uh versions of Wirt and uh Greg and, and get added, get to, added to the toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um the I, I guess my reaction like after I finished this and I've now seen it once, right? But <laughs> immediately it was that was bizarrely charming or charmingly bizarre. I'm not sure which of those two. <laughs> but also there's obviously a lot here that I know I did not get in this viewing. <laughs> Like, I I think this is the sort of thing that would reward a deep dive. And I felt like I just skimmed across the surface with the one viewing for, in prep for this uh, podcast. Definitely. I mean, Andrew and I, we're still picking up things that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew was mentioning that about Sarah, the the girl that Wirt has a crush on. Because she's in a Halloween costume. or Well, she's dressed as the mascot at first. And then she's in a Halloween costume. And she has a skeleton pa- like face paint. Face paint. Uh-huh. Um, but having watched it a couple times, and I was like, oh, she's not wearing gloves. Like, she's black. You know, uh, her, her character is... Because uh, her hands are... Uh-huh. Like, unless she's wearing gloves, yeah. she's But it's like, she's oh, black. She's, like, that's her skin tone. She's black. Uh-huh. And I hadn't picked up on that before. I feel like um, sometimes... Uh, this is the, the feeling that I had when I read... Um, Till we have faces the first time I was like, okay, I kind of get this. I don't really get this, but I know that there's a ton of stuff that I'm not getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I read it the second time, then that was when we had that, that great conversation when we talked about till we have faces. And I feel like um, sometimes you can, you can tell, even though you're engaging with something pretty superficially, like sitting in the backseat of the Sequoia, mm-hmm. watching it on the DVD player with your kids. Um, you can just tell when something is really carefully made yeah. and very carefully structured and you think, okay, there's a ton of stuff going on here, even though um, I'm not picking up on all of it. Yeah. Which was my experience the first time I saw, you know, even part of it, you know, I, I was kind of riveted to that doorway until I said, okay, I'm just going to sit through the rest of the, mm-hmm. this like hour and a half, like it's worth it. Um, yeah. And so you, yeah, it, it conveys that somehow it conveys that immediately, even though like these aren't, super sophisticated drawings. Like it doesn't look like studio Ghibli when Todd made that comparison. Well, I think the backgrounds look closer to studio Ghibli. Yeah. But the characters themselves are are kind of round and springy. Yeah. They they kind of clash with the background. The background are these beautiful, like watercolors or something. The Mm -hmm. the backgrounds look really nice. And the characters in the foreground are a little more simple. Yeah. yeah, they're all pretty simple. It's Auntie Whispers is the one that looks closest <laughs> to a Ghibli character. She looks like the, yes, the witch lady in, in, in Spirited Away. In Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. And there's Absolutely. probably influence there. I can't imagine that there's not. I mean, I can't imagine that the people that made Over the Garden Wall are not are, aware are, yeah. of Spirited Away. But, um, but it's not like they're mimicking it. No. Yeah. But even with the s- simplicity of the characters, <gasps> uh, of the 
artwork of the characters um and then the detail of the background like everything pulls together and and looks beautiful and there are so many details Mm -hmm. Uh, and everything's fluid like the animation is fluid and smooth and like it doesn't look like they're cutting corners anywhere yeah right um with the animations this reminded me of something i read recently it was um by this combo critic named douglas wolk in i think his book is just called reading comics but he had a section where he's talking about the graphic novel mouse um which we talked about years ago on the podcast uh but it has um just black and white drawings and very uh in some ways oh it feels a little crude or simplistic of the drawings but he said of it he said the um the uh art feels raw but it's not undercooked <laughs> like it's it's completely done <laughs> this is all doing exactly yeah. what it's supposed to do and i think that kind of analogy like there's something that's um feels simplistic like when you just see this if you were flipping through channels like the the art doesn't feel as rich as something like studio ghibli but I think it's fully cooked. <laughs> like the, they yeah. were doing exactly what they wanted with the style they chose. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I like the way that you said that, like they they got exactly what they wanted. And I feel like, yeah, like this is carefully done and mm-hmm. they, uh, it's not long and the episodes are really sure. <laughs> I was just, um, kind of laughing at your, uh, your long synopsis is like, as long as the synopsis of the name of the wind. Right? <laughs> I mean, not quite that long, but, um, the name of the wind is like 92 30, chapters. Yeah. Long. And it's like 30 <laughs> hours to listen to. Yeah. Uh, but they've just, they've packed a ton of story into this. Yeah. There's not a lot of, it, it's all substance. There's almost no flash to it. Yeah. But a lot of recurring themes also. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, go ahead. One, one thing that really stood out to me, um, was, like the liminality of everything. Mm-hmm. Everything was transitional and kind of in between two states. Uh, as So like the the first is at the very beginning, it talks about like the, the half moon on its side, right? Isn't that one of the, the first things we hear in... Uh, in like the, the, the song? song? Yeah. I don't know. I've uh, never actually analyzed the lyrics. Me either. Yeah. I or just maybe remember that it's, it's Greg's frog singing the song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Playing a piano in a void. Yeah, I, at least you see a half moon or maybe I was in a trailer because before I had the DVD, I looked at the trailer and I remember very distinctly it talked about a half moon on its side. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like clearly this is a fall, you know, fall setting heading into winter. Um, you've got life and death transitions in a lot of these stories. You've got yeah. the age of both these boys are like kind of different liminal stages. Of, yeah, there's like um, there's like preteen and like mid teen to mid teen. Yeah, to old teen. But not- well- Neither in like the state, you know, a finished state. Uh, yeah. And then there's um, like the, just the unknown itself is this weird uh, dreamlike purgatory of like constant movement and motion and nothing feels settled uh, within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like by the end, it's pretty much wintry. And at the beginning, it's like harvesty. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so you get that full, almost a full seasonal transition. Well, and you, you get there is like the ending is there's kind of a finality to the end of the beast and there's the you know potential deaths are looming large uh as you near the end there so i I, it does move there but for so much of the story just felt like everything was in motion and and not in a finished state Uh, yeah most of the time even i they're like walking you know they're traveling Mm -hmm. to and from places in most most of the situations yeah there's also this theme of um I mean, the, the, the simplest way to put it is like, looks, looks can be deceiving. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But it's also like the thing that you're most afraid of 
is really not the thing you should be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, like the, the beast is out there. Yeah. And he's scary. Yeah. Um, but So we get this with, with the lantern on it for a second. That is a creepy yeah, character. I, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's always in shadow, except for like one moment where someone swings the lantern wide. And and it it's not really clear what the beast is, but... It's, 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 it's unnerving. You're like, yeah. I, like stay in shadows. I don't want to see that. It's again. like glowy eyes and horns and yeah. Yeah. Um, but so like with the pumpkins, you get the, um, they're, like they seem like they're pumpkin monsters. Oh, they're not really pumpkin monsters. They're skeletons. And right. then there's the big pumpkin, like, like the, the big middle, maypole but pumpkin. Then, but then at the end of the series, when they're like having li- these little shots of everything, it's just a cat inside the pumpkin head <laughs> yeah um and so you've got the pumpkin one uh you have the 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 crazy man is another one where things are yeah the crazy guy in his mansion mm-hmm. and he's afraid of the woman that's a ghost and then it turns out that their um their houses are connected mm-hmm. and they're both alive um, French Rocco and, and, and French Rococo and it's like oh this doesn't seem in line with his Georgian sensibilities um, in the school in the, uh, the school town follies or mm-hmm. whatever that episode's called oh. um, her father the owner of the school he, when, he's got, like, when he comes in coat, he looks been, so just, big and huge but then it's just propped up with musical instruments that he's yeah. gonna sell and the, and and then, the, and the, the gorilla boyfriend guy is the gorilla mm-hmm. in the gorilla suit and they pop off the head and he's like oh man I'm so glad I got that the head thing off um, it's all very uh, it's all very Jungian right so Jung says you have the shadow side yeah. and it's dangerous and it's powerful um, but the worst thing you can do is run away from it because if you run away from it, then it's just going to consume you. The best thing that you can do is just turn and face it. And when yeah. you do, you realize that there's really nothing to be afraid of and you're able to, um, take that thing and sort of assimilate it into who you are. And, uh, I love the way that both Greg and Wirt have to grow in this. Um, and they sort of have to grow in a, in an interesting way it seems like they have to grow into each other's roles mm-hmm. so greg is like just um like exploding with this sort of childlike um innocence mm-hmm. <laughs> but but i don't know if innocence is the right word because like somebody suggests like knocking someone out and Greg's the one that like is starting to grab pieces of wood to see if they'll swing right to knock someone out right and he doesn't and uh, so Wirt's like, okay, we'll knock him out. And then, no, bad plan. Let's not do that. And but, then Greg's, but Greg's like, like, okay, I'm okay, going to knock, knock him out. Yeah, I mean, innocence in the sense of, so I've been thinking a lot about what it means um, to like to become like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and often we say, or, or, you know, like Christ says, we need to become like a child. And I'm like, I don't want to be like a child. Children are terrible, right? Like <laughs> they're self-centered. They're totally needy. Yeah. They haven't developed executive functioning. Right. They can be really mean to each other sometimes. They have no object permanence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Object permanence is a big one. Um, but I feel like Greg is very childlike in, and he has what I think you could, could be interpreted as confidence where he just sort of goes through the world and he's like, I'm not afraid of anything because there's yeah. nothing. His, his like, mind is going to work out. He has a very open mind. Right. Like as you grow up, your, your mind sort of closes on things mm-hmm. and you start to realize reality and also what you want to do with your life. Limitations. And, yes. Limitations. And Greg does not have he, those same he's limitations. Like, oh, anything can happen. He's, 
He doesn't question that a talking bird is possible. He doesn't question things like this. Um, and he has this just, he's so childlike, but at the same time, he's not like naive, but innocent at the same time. He's pretty so, naive. I but, think that that's yeah, but, yeah, naive. Um, like, in, it's, in it's some hard. ways, but he's he's got also like this childlike wisdom where the beast says like, okay, like bring me the sun here, put it in this teacup. And so he lines it up so that as the sun is right. setting, it's going to like descend into the yeah. teacup. Uh-huh. And he's like, there you go. And, and it's like, oh, well, he's he, like, he figured out the riddle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because he's not overthinking it. And then you have Wirt, who in the beginning, he's, he, he has a closed off mind more so uh he questions everything and he's more scared of the world and um birds can't talk they don't birds, have big enough brains yeah he's also very strange in in some aspects um and uh but then he at the end of the ep- at the end of the series he's kind of inherited part of greg's curiosity and open-mindedness and just like accept what seemed but with the beast like he's like oh wait no this this is is, dumb this is dumb like i'm not gonna this is not my brother's soul in here it's sort of like a balance between the thinking about it like he doesn't get to that solution without thinking about it Mm -hmm. you know he doesn't realize that it's dumb without his analytical side but he doesn't accept that this kind of absurd solution to an absurd situation is valid unless he's got a little bit more Greg than he had at the beginning. I feel like the exactly. easier the easier way to do this would be to say, well, Greg needs more Wirt and Wirt needs more Greg. Mm-hmm. And but that doesn't seem quite it's not quite that because because Greg is younger and less developed and yeah. Wirt needs something of the kind of confidence and openness that Greg has. But he doesn't need to like revert to he, yeah, a childlike he needs, like, state. An adult version. Of he it. just needs a yeah, a better sort of a more mature adult version of that thing. Um, and Greg needs he doesn't need to lose his um, his eagerness for life and and uh, and his openness to life. But he also like he does kind of need to grow up. And I love it when he takes on the the role of leader, and then he has that weird dream where he goes <laughs> yeah. up and he's like, "I need to be a leader." Um, and being a leader doesn't mean that you have to like all of a sudden turn into a cynic, but it does mean that you have to be willing to take responsibility for things. You have to be able to make a hard choice um, mm-hmm. and to sacrifice yourself, which are all things that he learns how to do. So it's not like Greg needs to turn into Wirt, but he does need to take on sort of some of the seriousness of Wirt. Um, and he's willing to make the exchange, right? When yeah. he gets his wish and he says, I'll take his place. It's a big moment for him. Yeah. Um, and it, like it hits you, like the emotions hit. Yeah, but it doesn't like change him forever, right? Like mm-hmm. he's still Greg at the he end, of, and he's telling yeah. stories to people about their their yeah, adventures. He, he sort of innocently said, "Well, I guess this is the solution," and it seems like the leader thing to do is to accept this solution yeah. at at face value, and so he goes for it. But even like when it seems like he's about to turn into a tree. He's still himself. Yes. And he's like, well, I mean, I accepted my responsibilities and the solution to take Wart's place, but that doesn't mean I'm not, you know, myself with my sense of humor and my, my joy and and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They're still growing, but they're not ever done. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And they're not, um, I mean, it's a, it's a cycle, but it's a cycle, uh, where the beginning and end point also, represent progress which i think is a a really interesting idea 
I think within this discussion of like their progress, I, there's something there and I haven't quite worked it out yet, but this idea of the woodkeeper or the woodsman who is keeping this, this lantern, but the moment when Wirt says, no, like I think there's something really significant to that. Um, yeah. Like thematically of, of like the, the younger generation is growing into something different. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we don't know how long the woodsman's been doing this, but it seems like the beast has kind of trained people probably before the woodsman as well to keep his soul in the, in the lantern. Uh, but something about Wirt allows him to break this tradition and this cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's an interesting like dynamic, the situation where the beast is, you know, basically setting up the bargain that it seems pretty obvious is what he set up with the woodsman. You know, you know, mm-hmm. if you decide to do this and keep the lantern lit, then your brother's soul will be safe in it and, and he'll live on in the lantern. Um, and you can tell that the beast has like confidence that this is going to work out. And, um, and then once, and, and then when Wart, you know, says like, no, that's dumb. I'm not going to do this. this. It's, it's, it's your like soul. your soul is stuck in it. Um, and he's willing to take that risk. And it seems like the woodsman, even if he maybe had considered that risk at some point would have never been willing to risk, um, the scenario and Wart is for whatever reason. And it's also a great moment because they emphasize um, Wart being young and like not super confident in that moment because the beast says like, are you willing to take that risk? And Wart opens up the lantern like he's going to blow it out. And he says, are you? But his voice cracks. <laughs> like, are you, are you willing to take that risk? And then he has to like cough. And he's like, are you? And like try and make the moment serious instead. Yeah, I think there's something there about, you know, the transition of generations and saying, you know, just because people have been doing it and they believe that this is the correct way to, you know, sustain the person that they cared about. That doesn't mean that it was true and it doesn't mean that it's the right choice. And it doesn't mean that they weren't being manipulated just because they did it a long time. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a break with the logical fallacy of tradition. Um, Not that traditions are wrong, but if the reason you're doing something is because we've always done it, that needs to be, you know, questioned like what what are the right re- what are the reasons we're doing this? Besides, we've always done it this way, and the beast is hoping to just cycle in a new generation, just do it the way it's always been done. <laughs> Keep his soul, uh, you know, <laughs> happy in the lamp. I guess happy. I don't know. And, well, keep the beast alive. Um, yeah, you know, because that's really what it seems like. It is is the beast has been lying to sustain himself, and so all he's doing is perpetuating his ability to perpetuate mm-hmm. um, this, I mean, you know, whatever it is, whatever the arrangement is. Um, and I don't know what the beast gets out of it, except continued survival, which mm-hmm. isn't good. And it's not what any, it's not what the woodsman wants because he hates the beast. Right. Um, but he's sustaining it because that's what he does. <laughs> you know, whether or not he knows that it's his daughter's soul in the lamp. I'm thinking about anti-whispers <laughs> and... <laughs> And the, well, this is another one of the great switches where, like, what you think is the danger is not. Right. But but it's not that there is no danger. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that the, it's that the fear is misplaced. Yeah. They were afraid of anti-whispers when it's actually a demon in Lorna, mm-hmm. um, which anti-whispers hadn't thought of the correct way to resolve it. And uh-huh. the, the kids did. Yeah. yeah. And then you and then at the end of that episode or when they leave anti-whispers, anti-whispers says, Beware of my sister Adelaide. And if <laughs> they've, you compare, already, they've already taken yeah, out Adelaide. And if you compare the two of them, I think I'd be more scared just by their look 
of Auntie Whispers than Adelaide, right. but Adelaide was more the danger and the more mm-hmm. fearful one. So I'm wondering if that if that um, idea transfers to um, to the Beast, uh, where like he's obviously playing on their fear, right? So your fear of losing somebody that you love, mm-hmm. uh, I can. I can feed off of that. I can manipulate that. I can manipulate that fear for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, uh, and then we're like breaking that um, by saying that's dumb, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's not the thing that I should be afraid of. Uh, So is there, I, 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 I feel like I'm very, um, tired right now because <laughs> i just was in a pool all day long and then and i drove, drove for th- four hours to get here um but I, I guess my ultimate question is is the is the big takeaway from this uh, over the garden wall that the things that were that we think we should be afraid of don't worry about them really the world isn't as dangerous a place as we think it is or is it pointing at something else and saying, don't be afraid of the thing that you think you should be afraid of. What you really should be afraid of is this other thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, is there an other thing that it points at? Or is it just saying the things that you're afraid of are really not that scary? I, hmm. I mean, part of me thinks like the easy answer is to say that it's pointing at, you should be more afraid of being constantly afraid Mm-hmm. then you should be afraid of losing someone you care about, you know, uh-huh. or, or something like that. Like Wart's like, no, that's dumb. Cause then I'm just going to be afraid my entire life that I'm not going to get enough oil. I'm going to be afraid of the beast. I'm going to be afraid of everything. And it's going to be a terrible life. Right. Um, Which is kind of the existence that he's lived mm-hmm. up until this point. I mean, this, yeah. this little, yeah. this little snippet of, of Wart's existence that is, we see. He's pretty I, fearful. He's anxious. I, he's, I get a feeling that he's gone through a lot in his life and that's what like created this pretty fearful anxiety anxiety of everything and um like he's just been through a lot yeah and um and Um, and, like when you take it what what is he afraid of before the beast versus after like he's afraid of jason funderbrooker mm -hmm. which he shouldn't be afraid of he's afraid of (laughs) sarah sarah and he doesn't need to be afraid of that he's afraid of and this is just like the real world stuff right um, he's afraid of his poetry, his clarinet playing. His he's afraid that he's being viewed as a dork, mm-hmm. and that's definitely not the world that we see. Like right. nobody thinks he's a dork. Everyone's cool with him. Everyone's like, "Oh, you you're in this area? Like that's cool. Like we'll we'll pass the tape along." Sure, you know, like you go <laughs> but for he, it. He ought to, everyone. And, and, but he has this. It's like he lives in the regular world where there are dorks and nerds and there's bullying. And it's like, I don't think he's actually been bullied ever because that world doesn't seem to sustain bullying. Yeah. Cause when, <laughs> when the, the other teenagers find out that he likes Sarah, you they're automatically like, think that they're going they're to be not... like, Oh, like tease him all about it. Like be really mean about but it. it. It's kind of but like an ooh, ooh supportive. Like we're like, we're go, waiting for you. Go Wirt and Sarah. And, but he, he automatically is like scared. And he's like, Oh, they're going to tell Sarah that I, I like her and... And, like, none of that happens. And, like, and his same, worldview is not consistent at all with the world we see. And the yeah. same thing happens with the policeman. He doesn't listen that the policeman was just joking about... Like, no, it's okay. Wait, kids, come back. Kids, kids come back. Don't, don't run. Don't run. run. It's not <laughs> Yeah. He's just um, I think fearful if, of everything. 
I, I think going back to Todd's question, it's not to me the theme isn't um, be you know be fearful of other things. It's it's to interrogate more. Like don't take things at face value. Both so like interrogate your fear. Yeah, well, interrogate your fear, but also you know don't assume this the person you just met that seems super nice is really super nice. They might have a demon inside of them that is going to try and eat you. Uh, you know, just uh, face value isn't where you should stop. And I think the the, the fears that they often have are face value fears. This person hmm. feels, yeah. you know, off for some reason. I, and I want to run away. I mean, they have a very strong flight response um, <laughs> in, a, in a lot of these scenarios um, that the thing that they were going to run away from isn't in the end the danger they were actually gonna be running to greater danger uh-huh. uh but I, I don't i don't think it's saying for either the like like don't suddenly become cynical about everything and fear everything but also don't suddenly trust everything like be you know interrogate the world around you and and face value isn't where you stop your judgments i think um the way that i've framed it often in class we talk about well i mean You've read the Quixote now, so you're <laughs> in on the secret. But <laughs> uh, but one of the great themes of that book is that um, it's about reading, right? It's a book about books, and it's a book about reading. And, um, and reading becomes a metaphor for just sort of life. And that the problem with Quixote is that he can't, he doesn't read reality very well, <laughs> right? Like he's a poor reader of books, and, uh, and he's a poor reader of life. And, um, and I think it's a, it's a, a really valuable metaphor for us, um, that we, I mean, we talk about like reading other people, like, oh, I can't read that person very mm-hmm. well. Um, or like how to read a situation. Uh, I think that it's not like a throwaway metaphor. I think it's a really important one actually. And I think, uh, part of the problem with, uh, both Greg and Wirt, uh, is that they're not very good readers of the situations that they're in and they're constantly misreading things and, uh, and it's causing problems for them. Yeah. They pick up on the wrong thing. Right. So I think what you're saying, Joe is, um, I mean, I want to put words in your mouth, but like this interrogation, we could also say is like, you need to be a better reader, (laughs) right? Like you need to find, um, the right details. And this, you see this in people, um, people who read and then they don't really understand anything like, (laughs) um, uh, like some people, uh, that have autism, uh, they'll read something and they'll, you can ask them like, what was the story about? And they can't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. And then you can t- to ask them to name, you know, like, give me 50 details about what happened in the story and they can yeah. give you 50 details easy, but they can't right? like the processing of it into, you know, what is the meaning? What's the metaphor? Yeah. What's the, what's a theme. And it's really frustrating because, uh, you can feel like you're a very good reader. Um, and you can read with even great sort of fluidity, um, but you're just not picking up on the right things. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, you're not pulling out, uh, you're at least not pulling out from this story the same thing that everybody else is. And that can be really frustrating. Um, and and we, I think especially Wirt, because he's, I, I feel like the story is a lot more about Wirt than it is about Greg. Yeah. Um, but we see Wirt like, his misreading of Jason Funderburker is <laughs> colossal. It's colossal. I mean, it's like you, so- you can't misread that more than right. he has. And when you see Funderburker, it's hilarious. Because he's mentioned him like three the times. Total package. Yeah, the total, total package. package. And you're like, oh my god. And then you see Sarah with Jason Funderburger, and it's obvious Jason Funderburger like 
like Sarah. And, and that's all that's, that Wart sees. That's is... all that Wart sees. And that's why he's like, oh, it's going to be Sarah and Jason Funderburger. But then you see Sarah's Sarah. reaction and she's just like. She does not care about she, Funderburger. Like, she's, she wants she's to super be, she nice. likes Wart. Yeah. She's like completely into Wart. She has. She, like I guess she would be fine being friends with Jason Thunderburger, well, yeah, but she doesn't want to be nice anything, in this world. anything else. She likes work. She wants to be with work, and it's so. Like, are you coming to the graveyard? Obvious. Like, please save right. me because I don't want Thunderburger to be sitting next to me at the graveyard that much. Yeah, I think part of growing up is learning to read the world and in, mm-hmm. in better and more sophisticated ways. Yeah, I think like a big part of that for for work is like okay, just you got to get like outside yourself. And that's not a skill he has at yeah. the beginning of this story. And I don't know if he really has it by the end, <laughs> but at least he's trying for the it's first closer. time because, you know, at the beginning it's, you know, no, everything I, I know about the world is going to have to be the way the world is or else nothing's going to make sense. You know, birds can't talk because they don't have brains. And I know this. Um, I can't play the bassoon because I don't have the embouchure for it. Cause I play, I play the, <laughs> the what, clarinet. clarinet. <laughs> um, you know, but then he, you know, he gets pushed outside of himself. I'll say this, being a clarinet his... player who then transferred to the bassoon. It's very it's, important. Oh, no, you can do it. You can oh, totally okay. do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is a different embouchure. I play the oboe and I, it is a different and I also embouchure, play the flute. And it's... You also don't have to have nearly the embouchure yes. for the bassoon that you do to play the oboe. Okay. Yeah, um, I know. I've talked with but, my friend you know, like, who plays the bassoon. You kind of have, have these situations throughout the story where words constantly getting pushed a little outside himself mm-hmm. until you get to the end and it's like, okay, maybe he's a little more comfortable. And, and, you know, maybe getting pushed outside himself is like, I mean, like he needs to get out of his own head. Yeah. You know, and, and be in the environment he's actually in. And when he's in the unknown, it's like, Hey, Wart, like this place isn't going to make sense. If you don't play by those rules, you're going to lose every time. Right. And, and he keeps he, losing, but he also, he's not he, also right he's, rules. he also has to learn that he can't, just follow the rules because Beatrice calls him a pushover several times and mm-hmm. and and he's like oh no I, I and then he's like oh I'm, I'm not a pushover, a pushover. And, and then he's like oh I have to stay here because I'm a pushover right. oh I have to go to the dunce box because <laughs> I'm like, a this pushover this is not helping the situation and, and I, I can't tie my shoe because you told me not to stop and <laughs> and and he just needs to like he has to learn to like follow the he rules but he also <laughs> needs to learn to break some rules at the same time like which rules matter and which rules yes. don't right in, which in a is, given situation which is again which is situational an issue of reading right like yeah. you have to be able to read a situation and then know how to act given what mm-hmm. you interpret about what's going on in a situation. And, and greg in some ways has the opposite scenario where he's more inclined to be breaking rules mm-hmm. or following the wrong rules in a given situation so he's still he misreading yes in some cases and they're each misreading in different ways and they need to learn how they each need to learn to read it a little more like the other one, uh-huh. but not become but completely it, like the other yeah, one, but not start misreading it like yeah. the other one. So it's. So as, as yeah, I go back I to like, my question like from before, going. it's not, uh, I don't think that the story is about um, like, you shouldn't be afraid of this thing. You should really be afraid of this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think it's like, you should be afraid. The only thing we should fear is fear itself. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, if there is something to be feared, it's our constant um, and pervasive ability as humans to like 
willfully misread. <laughs> I mean, we are really good at, we're, I think we're often way better at misreading um, than, than situations reading. than we are reading them. And that I don't know that it's something to be feared, but it's certainly something to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, this weakness that we all have uh, in our ability to read different things. And as we grow, I think hopefully we grow in our ability to, to just be better readers um, because like you're going to act, right? Uh, yeah, you're going to act on gonna, something. Right. And it would be way better if you were acting on uh, like a clear reading, uh, a clear reading of a situation than on a, a complete misreading. Um, so it's yeah. it's like knowing whether to fly or uh, like the flight or fight situation right. when when anxiety pops up and, and danger comes. Mm -hmm. It's it's knowing which one to do whether to like run away or to fight this this yes. danger and and like i don't go to haunted houses because i know my reading on the situation is not the ideal reading in that situation <laughs> and i'm gonna lean towards fighting and it's like i don't want to punch some high schooler in the throat right because because if they're if they're close to me i'm not gonna i'm not gonna run uh -huh. you know and so if, if a clown jumps out at me it's like okay well then i'm gonna tense up and my my fists are going to clench and like this is going to go bad and I don't want to uh, be in that situation. And that I mean we've never gone to a haunted house or yeah, anything like that. But how many haunted house clowns do you think get punched every year? <laughs> I, I don't know. know. But I <laughs> I know a, that if I question. ever if I ever went to a haunted house with Andrew, like if he went by himself, he would punch someone. <laughs> if he went with me, he would punch more. If he went with me <laughs> and our children or our our daughter and then our our soon to be here. You're like son. taken. You're yeah. like the dad and taken. <laughs> they it's would like, be this gone. Is not, this is not a good environment for me because I'm like, my, my, and, and like, it's not like I can tell myself, it's like, okay, read the situation as safe. Right. Because it's a gut reaction. You know, right. it's a, it's a high intensity adrenaline reaction. Yeah. And it's so, pulling on all the wrong parts of your brain. Yeah. For and so think, for, for me, I'm it's just like, going to okay, stay cool, gonna... be totally rational. Yeah. I'm sure nothing bad could happen. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, the best I can do is try to avoid that situation. So I have a different uh, thread while Andrew was uh, <laughs> <laughs> exercising some of his clown demons. <laughs> I've been <laughs> trying to work out uh, like, I, I mean, Andrew, I was listening to you and I believe you would punch a clown, but I was trying to think about <laughs> the end montage. <laughs> Let's not doubt that. Yeah. The, the end montage. And I'm, I'm trying to work through what we're supposed to take from these last shots of the people we met in um, inside of, of the forest in the unknown. Um, and when we position this with the, the fact that we know Wirt and Greg, we know they weren't in the unknown. Like they were, they're not people of the unknown. They went there when they had this traumatic experience. So they were unconscious in, in the lake. Right. Mm -hmm. But it seems to have been a shared experience by them. Uh, Cause they, they both, no, like, mm -hmm. like we, this is from Wirt's point of view for most of it, but then we hear Greg talking about it all. Right? Are we supposed to take that, like the woodsman that we see with his daughter, wasn't really in the unknown either? Like he had some traumatic experience, and his experience in the unknown was being this keeper of the lantern. And the Beatrice, like her family, jokes about her turning them into bluebirds, but that could have just been her telling the story, I guess. Of mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, she wasn't really in there. But then there's also, like, Wirt and Greg are 1980s. Beatrice's family looks like, you know, Pride and Prejudice Regency era. <laughs> so is this, like, some collective 
timeless unconscious <laughs> that people who are having traumatic experiences go into and have different roles in the story? Mm-hmm. Or were they all in, uh, other than Wirt and Greg, those are people of the unknown woods and we just happen to see them in different positions. I, I always think of it as the unknown is just treat the unknown as like a separate space and time. And they were in it. They had an effect on it. These kinds of things happen in the unknown. And then they were gone. So, but so Beatrice so actually was so a bluebird so and interacted with them. And yeah, they were a family of bluebirds and the woodsman, um, you know, after the beast was defeated, his daughter came back and, and that sort of stuff. So, so that's they're how still I living. It. They're still living in the unknown. They're not separate people who were outside the unknown, who had a traumatic, you know, entrance and had roles. They lived that's, in. That's how I read it. I, um, but I, I haven't really given it a lot of thought for the alternative. I agree with Andrew. However, there are things um, when in the Halloween episode that point to it could being just mostly like part of the, like Wirt and Greg's subconscious. Subconscious. Yeah, there's enough other stuff Be- like around because when they're in the graveyard, is it Wirt that's hiding behind? Yeah, the they're edge? they're hiding behind gravestones, and one of them says Quincy Endicott. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's, there's yeah, evidence timeless collective unconscious that he was a human in a different era. Yeah, so there's time in the- there's evidence that like the unknown is constructed around them based on you know stuff in, in their subconscious. But I like to think of it just like these are these are crossover parallel you know areas, and and they crossed over and came back, and the other one does continue whether or not they you know ever think about it again okay so that's how it I seems it, to me that there's maybe three possibilities at here. least at least <laughs> possibility one this is a sort of shared collective subconscious unconscious experience just between Wirt and greg and mm-hmm. you could point to specific pieces of evidence from solid evidence from their own life that would say these are them somehow together uh sharing this subconscious experience mm-hmm. this brother uh, mind link put they in. have a mind link together yeah uh option number two would be there just exists a place called the unknown w- that, w- that would be something maybe closer to what Jung would call like a collective unconscious that it's just uh populated with these archetypal images mm-hmm. um and that when they go unconscious and roll down the hill and end up in the lake, mm-hmm. uh, that they enter this world that just, it just exists. Yeah. Like, and it's a shared thing across humanity and anybody else could stumble could into the stumble same place. Into it, but mm-hmm. whether or not people stumble into it, it still runs its own business right. as, as usual. And the third option would be that, um, it exists only it exists, as a shared... It exists as a space, but that it's populated by specific uh, people who enter and sort of bring their baggage into that place. Yeah. And then that baggage is maybe left there. Yeah. And it touches someone else when they have a traumatic experience. And Or that, or they're, again, like, it's simultaneously someone from the Regency era and someone from the 1980s are in there with their baggage. And they interact, but then when they exit, they're back in their own times. So by that reading, Quincy Endicott really did exist 
Um, well, we know and, he existed because he's on that. He's got, he's head got head a gravestone, yeah. right? But like um, the like, Quincy like Endicott the same Quincy Endicott was having an experience, and he got stuck in the unknown in the 1700s. And, yeah, in the 1700s, is. and Wharton Greg because all 1980s of time and space exists simultaneously. Yeah, it just it in the unknown, time and space is irrelevant. If you hit the unknown, you're hitting it at the same time as who knows who else, right? So does this mean the cat is thinks it's the skeleton pumpkins for some reason? Because we see that at the end of the montage too. I don't know. I, I don't even contemplating know. Contemplating its own impending doom. Yeah, like we don't know, you know, by by this theory, we don't know which characters are trauma experiencers know, yeah. and are from outside forcing into the unknown. I mean, where do animals come in? And what about the frogs? Yeah, what's up with the frogs? <laughs> I mean, but I, I do think, and I'm going to go out on a big limb here, there might be something Jungian going on with archetypes, guys. Yeah, I think Maybe. there's definitely some, some, <laughs> some Jungian stuff is on the highway, man. Since there's an entire episode of What's Your Archetype? I know, really. And they're, they're singing the songs. Yeah. I don't think there's really a, an answer to yeah. the question, though. Because, yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with Andrew, but then you see these things, so then I'm like, what is it and yeah you never really there's not there's not i don't i don't think there's a definitive statement within the show yeah it's just and it's meant to be fantastic in like the the Todorov sense right so fantastic meaning there is no good explanation yeah and there's not supposed to be a good explanation yeah and and you don't really need one because whether or not the woodsman is in the unknown and he's reconnected with his daughter or he's getting over a traumatic experience and being reconnected with his daughter it's a good it's still hard no, whether to see them if the if the top at the end of inception falls over or not mm-hmm. right right yeah does it matter i i don't think so <laughs> it wiggles talk it wiggles i know it wiggles i know it wiggles <laughs> I, I have no i have no horse in that race <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter that's that's my interpretation of that but also of this like does it matter what the answer is mm. well I, I think it it doesn't matter what the hard answer is but i think it's when it's well constructed and you're interested in those questions that's a sign of a well-told story mm-hmm. when it's poorly constructed and you're just like i don't understand anything and like that can be a poorly constructed story that it still leaves you with the vague feelings but i think this one it feels enriching to try and like talk through some right. of these yes these I agree. Yeah. versus just trying to like end the frustration because you don't understand what's happening this one's yeah. like I feel like there's something so much more going on mm-hmm. and let's talk about it for a little bit. But in the end, you know, it happened or, or didn't happen, but the story happened, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, and, and we have that, which is the point. And yeah. it's a great story. And I, I agree with you, um, Joseph about like, it's great to just think about what the possibilities of this are, what the unknown is. Uh, but then it's just, it's just a great, show to watch and Mm -hmm. uh a great show that andrew and i quote to each other all all the time time. (laughs) um and i there's like some some comic book follow-ups that that are licensed that i haven't read um so i don't know what kind of expansion on it there is like a canonized official i I don't know about canon um but they're (laughs) They're licensed. I, I think, think you know, this is a concern show. of mine. Like, yeah, I really. Uh... I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what the Over the Garden Wall canon is. Okay. Um, you'd have to check the Over the Garden Wall wiki. 
Okay. Which I don't know. If which which I did just to check the spelling of stuff because uh, I had watched your your DVD and then passed it on to Todd, and I was trying to write the summary, <laughs> and I, I went and looked at the fan wiki to double check spellings mm-hmm. and just double check some plot points as I was going through. Um, yeah, and so I, I don't on that I don't know the canon level say, of comics. I found the list of all of the frogs' names because the frog gets multiple <laughs> names during the show. Uh, I just want to share this with everyone. At various points, the frog is called Kitty, Wirt, Wirt Jr., George Washington, Mr. President, Benjamin Franklin, Dr. Cucumber, Greg Jr., Skipper, Ronald, and Jason Funderburger. <laughs> That's his final name. Yes. <laughs> it's great. Um, oh, and, and we should note, Jason Funderburger um, it does have a wonderful connection with someone dressed, I think, as a bluebird um, in the end. What? He's holding hands with one of the other people that went to the graveyard. Really? Yeah, the girl with the oh, thick so glasses. He, he wasn't in love with Sarah. He was just in love with the idea of being in love with someone. Oh, <laughs> Jason, you're the worst. <laughs> I think I he's think the young lover. <gasps> he's the young lover. <laughs> yes. Um, Jason, but I think that girl was dressed as a bluebird. Interesting. Yeah, and mm. good to note. Remember, Sarah dressed as a skeleton. Pottsfield skeletons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Graveyard digging oh. our own graves. Something's, mm-hmm. something's going on here, guys. <laughs> I need yeah. to watch this again. It's almost yeah. as if there were, you know, multiple themes that are connected throughout this <laughs> story. This, as a, I know, I know, we're going a little long, but do you have a favorite chapter um, of like these episodes are all pretty self-contained and they're telling, like we said, they pack a lot of story into each one. Did you have a favorite? The one where they're singing songs at the end is pretty great just because of all the songs and all the like archetypal characters that you just meet in such quick succession. Um, and, and the voices, the voices are just gold in that one. I, I agree with that, but I don't know. It's hard to say if that's like really, really yeah, my favorite. I don't know if I have a favorite cause like I like the songs in the, in the end. We also like the songs in, in the school. school. Um, oh, potatoes and molasses. I don't. Um, I've never heard. Is that like a dish that that either of you have heard of? Potatoes and molasses. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm I'm not familiar. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's so many like, good moments. Yeah, we. <sighs> I mean, we really just throw around a lot of quotes from all throughout. Mm-hmm. I like the pumpkins. Potsfield. Uh-huh. And I like the Mad Love. The Which one's the Mad Love? Oh, the uh the, the guys the, the, with the mansions. mansions oh. oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got no I sense at all. Yep. <laughs> um so Joseph, what's your what's your top? I I think I may have had the most fun just watching the archetype one. Um but I don't I I don't know. They're all great. I I, I don't think there was a clunker in the lot. <laughs> Um, but I definitely did enjoy the, the kind of, um, meta playfulness of the archetypes that was going on there. And I just, once again, have to shout out, Greg has some great one-liners. It's uh, yeah. We haven't talked much about his performance, but the way he rambles, it is so much like the uh, non sequitur uh, commentary that I get from my kids sometimes Mm -hmm. when they're just talking. Like I don't know where that just came from, and then they're they've moved on, and I'm stuck thinking about something that just came out of their mouths, yeah. <laughs> or, or some um, of the things that you in, post on Facebook, or yeah, or just like post on Facebook some great, great stories from some kid. great stories, and I'm like, not like when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that's something that Greg that's, probably would have done. <laughs> um, 
and he just like he just has some some killer moments when they're being attacked in the first episode and he's in the bottom of a barrel and this beast With- dog sticks his face down and he's completely scared but he's just looking at it and he says you have beautiful, beautiful eyes, eyes. <laughs> and just giving it a compliment in the midst of his terror <laughs> Um, oh, great. Or uh, with anti whispers, there's like a barrel full of black turtles. <laughs> and he says, We're here to, to burgle your turts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we quote these a lot. Yeah. Even sometimes out of no, yeah, yeah, out of, out of no content. <laughs> nice. Any uh, final thoughts on this? Uh, it's a great series. Uh, I think it's the kind of series that would definitely reward multiple viewings. Uh, I'm sure there is a dedicated fan base online that's probably trod a lot of the ground we just covered in our discussion and gone even deeper but i'm so glad that uh abby asked us to cover this this story because it's another one kind of like todd said i'd heard good things about it but never made the time to like commit to sitting down and watching it and i'm definitely glad we did awesome All right, well, uh, that wraps up this episode, so thanks for joining us. And for show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. And we'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 14 about the Graveyard Book and episode number 163 about uh, Weird Sisters, the novel. Uh, If uh, you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter uh, at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And so is is me. (laughs) Uh, And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show. What? Kestra. Yes. You're a first time guest. Yes, I am. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Forgot about this. So Kestra, we talk about great characters and great stories on this podcast. And we always yeah. ask for first time guests. Should have reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> if they could have a dinner party with any three to five fictional characters, who would you want to hang out with just to enjoy the conversation? Oh dear. <sighs> At my dinner party would be the doctor, David Tennant's doctor, so the 10th doctor, Mickey Mouse, because he started everything for Disney, and I love Mickey Mouse, and he would be amazing to converse with. Um, Temperance Brennan from the TV show Bones. It's one of my top TV shows. Uh, and then from my favorite book, um, Book of a Thousand Days by Shannon Hale, uh, the main character, Doshti. Doshti. Can you tell us a little bit about Doshti? So Book of a Thousand Days is uh, is written as a journal. Um, so it's like day one, this happened and blah, 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 blah. And it's uh, she is a lady's maid, basically. And her when she finds out that she's this, she, she trains to become this lady's maid. And then when she finds out who she's going to be the lady's maid for, that person um, is put is put in a tower by her father because she refuses to marry the person her father wants her to marry and she's put in that tower for seven years um and uh and it's more than a thousand days (laughs) 
That is more than a thousand days. Yes. Well, it doesn't go through oh, that because <laughs> then there's like a big war that happens. Oh, okay. And well, Dashti is a mucker maid. So she also has these healing songs and, and other things. So they, they, they're traveling people, the muckers. And um, so she ha- has all these healing songs and uh, she eventually falls in love with the person that her, Saren, her lady is is in love with and um they escape from the tower and it's it's a very it's one of my favorite books i read it every year and dashti she just has quite an open mind and also um the the songs that she sings are very interesting and i would love to like get to know her as a person and um hear her sing her songs i think that's everything yeah Okay, our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have great conversations there with our listeners and we'd love for you to say hello anytime. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. I'm finding this house. You've I've been, been here, here like four times. times. No, I've been here way more than four times. Yeah, well, I mean, like four times this month. I know. That's what I was really. It looked different from the front. I oh, was just they parked. did change oh, all the they, landscaping. They, they're changing the landscape. I was just parked so behind trees. Joe, and there was yeah. no Joe to park behind. <laughs>